This is a founding media podcast produced at Austin Community College District. Welcome back to Science the Mall, y'all. I'm your co-host, Dan Dillard. Alongside my co-host and the director of Austin Community College's Bioscience Incubator, Nancy Lyon. Today, we invite Jolie back onto the show, and she's joined by her boss, Josue Moran, who is the co-founder as well as the VP of Research and Development at Angstrom Bio. Angstrom Bio is developing a more efficient, more sensitive viral testing method, and Jolie and Josue explain exactly how they are accomplishing this important feat. They talk about what it was like to start a biotech company in the early days of the pandemic, and how Austin Bioscience community and entrepreneurial spirit helped them to build their product and grow their business. They share some valuable insight into the importance of networking and proving yourself through internships, as well as getting yourself plugged into your local community by taking advantage of resources like those found at ABI. It's a great episode full of insight. So let's jump right in and learn about what Angstrom Bio is doing here in Austin. Let me give you a brief background on, on Angstrom. So we, we founded Angstrom um, in November 2019, um, originally as an antibody engineering shop, um, essentially designing um, antibody drug targets on the computer before you actually make them in a lab and try to test them into, into clinical trials. And so as we started that company, we entered into 2020, and like many other companies had to do at that time, we had to do a pandemic pivot, as they called it. And so we transitioned into, um, into in vitro diagnostics, obviously using uh, COVID-19 as a beachhead into that front. So we, we, pit, we made the pivot, and we sort of tried to, uh, tried to find a, a lab that would, would take us in and allow us just a small amount of, of lab bench to, to initially. Wait, test that's what our... I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But we couldn't afford it at the time. <laughs> so we started this, um, we, we were able to, um, through, through some connections here in the Austin community that we're really grateful for, we were able to find a, a, a small lab bench inside of another local bio, Austin biotech uh, company called Tevito Biosciences. That's that's how we started Angstrom, and that's how I first met um, Joe Lee, who was at that point part of Tevito Biodevices. Very cool. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna back us up. I know you've mentioned it in, sure. in, in this explanation, but I want to touch again on what Angstrom does, but also explain it to us like if we're freshman biology students, like high school freshman biology yeah. students. High school freshmen. Okay. The platform technology that, that we developed is really based on three main principles. Um, the ability to uh, barcode DNA, use DNA barcodes to, to tag or flag each individual patient sample, then run that through what's called a DNA sequencer. So you're able to detect every single nucleotide of any potential virus um, uh, infection within a patient sample. And then on the back end, which is some of what a, my, a lot of my co-founders have worked on are the algorithms to deconvolute some of that data, right? So what we're able to do, and the, the real value proposition here is that we're able to batch potentially tens of thousands of patients into one small little test tube this big, 
and run them through a single, uh, run them through what's called our Oxford nanopore sequencer. And so we're able to detect every single nucleotide, not only of a viral, potential viral pathogen, but also of the, what we call the DNA barcodes on the ends of every, what are called the, the primers, on the ends of every primer for every single patient. And we're able to deconvolute that on, on the back end um, and do that at a very, very large scale. One of the things we noticed early on in the pandemic was that a lot of the testing was just way too slow and la lacked a lot of sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And this is a platform technology that can really, really deliver um, scale and sensitivity. Can you, um, I, I know what you're talking about, but barely. So I'm going to say you went to like <laughs> senior college. So like, but, no, seriously, like just because I think the people that are listening, like they, yeah. they don't understand, like put it in the context of, of COVID. I mean, it's a great example, but like, how does the normal test do it versus yours in like, just like, you know, take the science out of it, whatever. Right. Uh huh. So, so the normal test, so part of the foundations of the normal test, say the, the PCR test, right. It detects, it detects, um, it detects a viral, uh, RNA inside of a potentially infected patient, amplifies that many folds over different cycles. Makes lots of copies. And makes many copies over many cycles. And there's a little a color, like a, what's called a, a little flag. We'll call it a, a color that, that's, that increases over time and it creeps up. And that, that, that color change and increase in color change over time allows you to detect a, positive, a potential positive patient sample, right? And so that's one at a time. And you're limited based on different colors that you can really um, do at one time. And you can actually visualize at one time. What we're able to do is eliminate the whole color-based reading and we're able to group many thousands of patients at one time. And not only the value proposition is not only that we can pool so many at one time, but the readout and the information that you garner at the end is so valuable because it can also potentially detect viral variants. It can discriminate between flu A or B and say RSV. So because you're able to get the genetic sequence at the end. And that's where the greatest value proposition lies. Imagine being able to do many, many tests for one patient in, at one time in a single well, as opposed to do, having to separate and have to do many samples for a single patient. That's where the value comes in of our tests. So then like if you did a bunch of people, let's say like a, a, a high school, and you put everybody's sure. in there and then this DNA barcode that you're talking about, that's how like, it's got like Nancy Lyon on one of them. And so if that's the one that comes back positive, you know, who in the school is positive or. That's exactly right, Nancy. And we have, we, we, we assign you a DNA barcode before you even go on to the, What's go into your sample. <laughs> GTAAC is yeah. my favorite one. <laughs> we'll, we'll design one just for you, Nancy. Uh, so everyone gets a unique barcode assigned to them before the sample gets, gets processed. And then we're able to read that out um, on the sequencer using our proprietary algorithm. Cool. That's and that's the value. And the other thing is that, you know, we can deliver a test within, within 24 hours. So the time component to deliver a high throughput test with a lot more information than standard PCR um, at um, an affordable cost and a faster turnaround time. That's what we need. That's what the pandemic needs. That's how, that's where we, that's our vision for in vitro diagnostics and where we think that needs to go. 
Right. Well, so it's not a bad nice. It sounds like it's going wide and deep is what is what I'm hearing versus, you know, uh, spreading yourself thin. That's exactly like that's, getting all that information. That's right, Dan. Very that, cool. That's why. So you said you founded Angstrom in 2019, uh, prior to the pandemic, and then you had to pivot in a big way due to the, to the pandemic. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about what happened during that turning point and, and also how ABI played a role in that transition? Absolutely. So that that transition um, was pretty rough. We were, you know, as any startup knows, you know, you're trying to to raise some money as a software company, and then you realize that you know that's not going to be the the direction to go once this 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 new pathogen really hit hit the world at at just a rapid speed. Um, so so we founded Angstrom, like I mentioned. I have four other co-founders: um, Carlos Santos. Um, uh, Jonathan Feldman, um, David States, and Forrest Cox. And, you know, we kind of put our heads together. Carlos had an idea of something that he was kind of kind of brewing um, of a way to do massively parallel diagnostics. And that's actually where our name comes comes from, AMP. So Angstrom Massively Parallel Diagnostics, right? And we had this idea in our head that we could pivot. We could either continue down this this one path, or we could pivot using a with this proof, do, as long as we could do a proof of concept somewhere, in some space that would that would <laughs> take us in. And um, what's funny is that I think what's really humbling at that time is that all of these ideas are sort of up here, right? They're very mm-hmm. theoretical, and you know, will this work? Can it work? How can we de-risk this as much as possible? And and part of that conversation, part of that decision, actually was driven through conversations with, with Nancy, for example. Nancy, who do you know? You know, Do you know anyone who has just a small shot? And ABI was actually closed at this time. They weren't even allowing anyone to go in. So do you have anyone? And you have to really take context here because do you, have, do you know anybody within the context of this global pandemic, any lab that would let me come into their space and do an initial proof of concept work? I need about two feet of space. I just need to test something. I need to test something. I'm a little guy, I and, take up my space. And and it, it, it'll only take. And you know, and the, the and you know, the pitch there is, I only need a month. I only need maybe two to three weeks. You know, and here we are, two two years later, and we're still. It's always the case. And 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 I think ABI really and and really to to Nancy's credit, really played a key role in garnering those connections right and mm-hmm. that's something that that we hold dear and that's actually one of the reasons my other co-founders who started another company um here in austin one of the reasons we moved the entire lab um with that other startup to austin was because of the the connections because of the relationships that we saw here in in austin the austin ecosystem that nancy was a part of and is a part of and we really saw value in that and I tell you what, during the pandemic, we really saw the fruits of that. Um, so it really, really speaks speaks to Nancy and, and how interconnected she is and how well-connected she is and how she's able to just find a way for people. And I think I may not have ever said that to you directly, Nancy, but we're all, always very, very grateful Thank for you. that and for you. you the story that, that that reminds me of is, so these guys came to town. It was like Dell Medical had a lab space. We had it, Temple, all of these places. And these guys were coming in from out of town. They're like, oh, there's this company from St. Louis that wants to move to Texas and they want to take a tour. Okay. So we invited them over. And they had already set up an appointment to go see the school, the med schools labs, ours labs, 
Um, I think they'd had a phone call with Steve Frazier down at Star Park. I'm not 100% sure of that, but there was you know, this conversation. And when they came over, there's a, a networking event twice a year. Bio Austin has a BioBash. It's actually coming up. It's like in a couple of weeks. So if you haven't gone to BioBash, go to BioBash. It's a great networking event. They only do them twice a year. So they're really well attended, really fun. And it happened to be that night. And we told these guys like, hey, you should go to BioBash. It's really fun. And they did. And by the time they ended it, they're like, oh my God, we met so many cool people here. We're telling our funders who want us to move to Houston, I think we're going to move to Austin. <laughs> and they did. That, that, that's exactly right. That's, we, that we said me. we, that was everybody. No. And, and we all saw, saw the, um, like we said, the, the ecosystem, the tight ecosystem that was here. Um, and uh, no, was no regrets. that regret. what drew you no to regret. Austin's bioscience community? That absolutely community. absolutely absolutely and Tiny. i think my my other co-founders would would echo the same they were dreading the idea of going to houston They're like but 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 and houston's <laughs> got a scene i mean it's got it's got its thing you know some people would say they've got more of a life sciences thing than we do but mm-hmm. they got our thing so um talk a little bit more about the cooperation and collaboration happening in the biosciences community that you've experienced here i mean you said this networking event but since you've moved here what else have you experienced wow so i think the the most telltale um i guess collaboration within the for and for me within the the austin ecosystem for biosciences is really this collaboration that we have with with tevito um and I don't know if you want to continue expounding on that, but I can I can really talk at length about that that relationship. Sure. Um, that's one of them. I think the fact that um, Laura uh, Laura Bosworth, she's the CEO of uh, of Tevito Biodevices, really allowed you know a group of scientists that she's never met before into into her kindred lab space, while she's also trying to keep her own biotech company afloat and running. And also saying, sure, I can be this Airbnb of life scientists for you. And I'm a, I, I'll show you that I'm a super host as well on top of that. <laughs> and uh, because, because we have, like I said, we started with this really small footprint there. We said we'd only be there a month. That kept going. The relationship there was, was I think, a win-win because she was also launching COVID testing at the time using a different platform. There were times when we would work together to tr- troubleshoot execution and launch of that platform, of that technology, of that um, uh, COVID testing. It was sort of a, a standalone COVID test. We really worked together to figure out problems um, ev- really, really well under this under the context of this this global pandemic without butting heads it wasn't competition it was just really good science really good business um and gosh i I hope that's just a just a bellwether of things to come for the future of austin life science ecosystem yeah i think it's a testament to all of you all three of you you laura jolie everybody i mean when when this happened and everybody was freaking out, going, oh, I want to help. I want to help. Laura actually put it out there. Like, my lab, is, I will move out of my lab if somebody that's working on COVID can find wow. a good use for it. Wow. And so nobody took her up on it. Like, I mean, Angstrom finally did, but nobody took her up on it. She literally put it out there like, 
I won't even charge you rent. I mean, obviously I'd like to get my rent back. So I'm not burying myself further in the hole, <laughs> but for the cause, yeah. if somebody can jump in here and save the day during COVID, my lab is yours. And to add a little color to that, you're right. We, she didn't charge us rent. She knew that we had zero funds. Um, she, you know, we, we, we didn't, we didn't have anything for, for months. Um, Nancy let us borrow some pipettes. We didn't even have pipettes. Um, you know, the way that we came together during that time um, is really gets, you know, a lot of us emotional, just the way that that, That's the way true. that came together. Yep, it really does. Um, Jolie's sitting there silently just listening, but you know she yeah. had her fingers in every ounce of that. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to ask yeah. Jolie a little bit about the experience of of you know coming on board. Well, we had already worked together for a year in that we were in the same space, and Hoseway really helped us, uh, gave us advice if we had problems or unusual results. He had ideas as to how how to help us with it. Um, we shared materials, different um, little viral particles. Uh, we <laughs> shared viral particles. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, they were they were, they were synthetic. They they weren't harmful. But um, uh, where to find materials? Uh, because it, things were scarce back then. Um, mm-hmm. We had really yeah. sort of worked together yeah. already for a good year, and I could see what they were doing was just the neatest thing. They were they were doing sequencing on such a, a, a this tiny little instrument. I know Nancy at ABI, the next gen sequencing instrument is pretty big. The Illumina. But at um, Angstrom, they just do everything on this, this tiny little uh, nanopore sequencer that's, you know, about the size of a phone. So um, just the, the product is really cool. And I was very interested in what's happening in the, um, the invisible world there. And, you know, what's happening with the DNA, what's happening with the enzymes and the RNA. And so it was just it was just their, the passion of, of learning new things. I mean, at the end of the day, it was just something. And being excited about PCR, which just yeah. cracks me up because I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, Jolie did say that, you know, we had worked together for a year, um, essentially in the trenches together, right? Sharing. COVID trenches, really. It really is the COVID trenches because, it, you know, the others will tell a similar story, I'm sure. Like, if you speak to people who have been working on COVID, people haven't slept, right? They have not in, 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 in the life science space. Many times they're, Jolie, they're two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, getting something to work. You know, I'll come back. I, I usually do an earlier shift, 5.30. I know she just left just because I could tell that somebody had, somebody had cleaned the, a biosafety cabin and put their initials there at 4.30 in the morning. You know, things like this that really don't go, don't really get told very often. Um, and you, you, you see people work, you work alongside people like this and you, you really, you admire the, 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 the breadth of knowledge and you admire the grit. And, you know, I tell you what, this, you, you can't teach grit, right? <laughs> it's um, totally true. You can't teach that. And I think, um, I think we've all, we've all seen that in, in, in Jolie. Um, her fund of knowledge that came from ABI, the grit that she has. And, and we, we saw it as a real win-win for a transition over into Angstrom. Um, of course, uh, you know, Laura certainly values Jolie and, and, and you know, holds her up to, to, a, to a high regard as well. 
we are passionate about career development. Laura knew that. She knows that I'm passionate about that. And like I said, we saw it as a win-win in that one, it put Jolie on a, on a career trajectory towards next-gen sequencing, which she was really passionate about. Angstrom was still in the Tevito space. We're still there now. The, 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 the tribal knowledge that Jolie has in Tevito also um, could stay there because we were still in the same space. So, and that has really, I think we've, we've seen many examples of that, Jolie, where, um, where you have, you know, certainly um, Tevito has been able to lean on you as well based on your experience with them. Um, and because you're still there. Yeah. Sounds like, a and, and it works, it is, and it works really well. Um, and that, and that goes for the entire Tevito team as well. Yeah. I think for, for, as far as the, the, the hiring process here seems, sounds like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Josue, but being able to work for a long time with a person that you're going to, that you hire, you, you, as you mentioned, you've already kind of experienced that working conditioned and who the person was, the grit, all of that before bringing them on. Um, mm. But going forward, you guys have, have, have hired other people, I, I'm sure. Uh, is that correct? You know, that, that is correct. Um, okay. I think uh, we, we hired, we hired uh, one, one other individual, um, okay. Piao Yi, um, who is a, a lab tech for in our lab. One of the things as a startup is, um, I won't take credit for this, for this phrase, but Mike Makebulls, who is a VC out of, uh, called Floodgate out of California, has mm -hmm. a show. And he starts his show and he says, he says something to the effect of, you know, having, being in a startup or launching a startup is, requires bringing out your inner Wonder Woman, your inner James mm -hmm. Bond, your inner MacGyver, mm -hmm. right? And as, as, a, as, a, as a founder, as a co-founder, that, that is absolutely true. And your next hires after that are just crucially as important because you want to try to find somebody, people who also have that inner Wonder Woman, that inner MacGyver. And for those of you who don't know what MacGyver, MacGyver is, you'll, you have to YouTube this and watch the show. But yeah, it's, about, the it's, about, it's about figuring things out, unlearned, never trained in something, figuring something out on your own with the very little bits that you have. Right. Mm -hmm. And saying, how do we put this together and survive? <laughs> right. And yeah. that's why you're crucial. Your, your initial hires are super important. And you wonder, how do you find people that way? You know, Jolie was certainly one of those individuals. And it was very clear uh, from the from the outset of my experience with her. Um, so we certainly we value that that inner Wonder Woman and MacGyver and her. <laughs> I love that analogy because a lot of times it's like we've got to wear multiple hats, but that's just like overused all the time, but the, the, mm -hmm. the MacGyver analogy, having to, to make do with what you have, uh, super important, especially getting started. Um, it is. So, and that speaks to my other co-founders as well. I have to yeah, give all of them a, a, a tremendous amount of credit. So for students listening, I'm, I'm just curious what, uh, maybe give them some, some insight on how to best prepare to be that inner MacGyver. What would you, what would you advise me? <laughs> Can you train that? And this, and this question oh, is wow. for both of you. <laughs> Do you want to go first, Jolie? Well, I think for the students, when um, in, in class, there are always a number of people trying to do one t essay, one test. So I would suggest that you be the one to, uh, you know, immediately volunteer to try to do it. Get your hands in there and learn how to do everything. If there is a small company that you could intern at, intern 
or, or volunteer at just so you can start getting experience. I think um, smaller companies are, are, are ideal because, um, again, you, you do have to wear a lot of hats. I know it's an overused phrase, but it's true. That way you learn um, a little bit of everything so you can pull all the information together as to how to solve one problem. But do you think that that's personality-based? Like, do you think that that's something you can teach or do you think that's sort of just like, you know, that's who you are? I think you can train yourself to become that kind of person. I think that if you just keep trying and um, put yourself out there and don't worry about what anybody thinks, just keep, you know, just keep putting yourself in those situations. You can become that if if that's what you want. There's a word that comes up for me based on what you said, uh, Wonder Woman, MacGyver, and what you just said, Jolie, and that word is fearless. Sounds like you've got to be able to work on those fears to fail and, and, and whatnot, just to go try new things. And so once you've overcome that fear, you have that grit to to do things that are valuable for the, for especially entrepreneurial employees. And I do want to say it's also worth it. I get to work with people that are just so intelligent and conscientious and I, I don't I don't know if it's the particular I've been so lucky working with Nancy at ABI and Laura at TVDO and everybody at Angstrom, but there's just a particular joy in working with people that you respect and um, I, I it's just been the best field. I'm I'm so grateful to come into biotechnology. You know, to 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 answer the first part, is it is it trainable, is it coachable? It can be with, with good mentorship. And I tell you what, you have to one of the one of the biggest problems I think, at least in in education, is that students aren't allowed to fail often enough, and they're not permitted to make a mistake. And on a layer underneath that is that when we learn things, we learn things very linearly. Somebody had this problem, and then they found the solution. But you don't have you don't know what happens. You know what's what. There's actually a good TED talk from Ari um, Eisen out of, out of Israel. He talks about being in the cloud, the A going from A to C, A to B. And you don't understand all of the ups and downs and the turns that happen to get there. And when you learn science, when you learn how things were discovered, you don't learn about all of the troubleshooting that happened to get there. And there aren't enough practical, I think, experiences that allow students to fail leading up into, into, into high school into college. So when you get to graduate school, for example, in a graduate program, you're often required to figure things out on your own. And there's a lot of, and I'll say this, and I don't mean this is actually probably for another talk altogether, but there's a lot of depression that happens within graduate school because of the fact that you have never failed so many times in your life. And you have nobody to hold your hand and guide you. And you have to figure it out on your own. And and if you're not told, it's okay to make a mistake. This is part of the process, right? This is the way. Then you kind of, then you kind of say, okay, now I can so I can have some self-compassion and say, this is fine. We can continue on in this route. I can continue failing as long as I change some variable along the way to give me a potentially give me a different outcome. So you can teach it. It's just it requires a good good mentorship. You can teach it. it just requires good mentorship. Um, I think the word to replace failure should be testing. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna test this process to see if it works, then move on to the next test and just kind of continue. But yeah, I think language. I think you're right on to something like language and the the fact that 
during your first 12 years, you're, you've got that one answer and that's it. And you, and you move forward and you're graded on this pass fail thing. If you're failed, it's considered bad right. versus learning. So. Right. And you learn so you learn so much. You learn there's, you know, there's, um, and I've said this many times and probably Julie gets annoyed, but you know, there's, there's a few (laughs) ways to really, to know the truth. You can, you can either, you can, you, to learn the truth, you can either be told the truth or you can experience it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Experiencing that failure will help you learn the truth way more than just me telling you. So there's value in somebody in somebody making a mistake in an assay. I don't get upset because you have to, you have that. There's so much value in that mistake learned that you said, man, I just messed up. And this has happened to me. I've messed up two or three days worth of work. Yeah. But man, I, I guess, tell you what, I will do everything I can to not make that mistake again. I think people also don't realize like in research and development, like R and D, like grad school, right? These PhDs or whatever. Yeah. In order for them to get this and, you know, what they're doing is doing something that's never been done before. You know, you might use techniques that other people have used to get mm-hmm. at this, but they have this unique problem and they have to figure out how to answer the questions. And and it's often like you have to, you're the first person that's ever even thought of this and you're going to screw it up a lot. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And there's plenty of, you know, plenty of, of parallels to, to startup. Yep. Right. Plenty I mean, of they say that there. about Austin, like, oh, there's an entrepreneurial mindset. And I think it's what you, what Jolie was describing of just like, you know, you just got to get in there and try and you know, roll your sleeves up. Yeah. I think there is sort of a, you know, a personality type and probably like you said, a mentored person that is. They can take that. And the whole community has a lot of people in that same mindset. And so it makes it okay because people, when they're having coffee or having conversations, they understand each other. It's not like uh, maybe other cities that are less entrepreneurial. So that that gives more permission in the cities, Mm -hmm. uh, this great city. Right. Any advice for folks that are listening who are considering a career in biosciences, like what they should be thinking about or what they should be doing or just any advice at all? I tell you what. The first step, I think maybe we can bucket this two different ways. The first is for people who are interested in finding a career in biotech. And the second one is once you're in it. So first, networking. I know people say this so often, but you really have to get out there and get to know people and meet people. Ask for coffee chats. Say you have to understand that people really like talking about what they do. If you can just put yourself out there and say, hey, uh, could I you know, bother you? Could I do a 15-minute coffee chat with you, a Zoom coffee chat even, just to get to know how you got here, a little bit more about you? People will carve out 15 to 30 minutes of their day to have a conversation with you. Find networking events. Get out there and, and, and network. Show that you care. Show that you are willing to learn, right? The second thing is once you're, once you're there, be malleable. Put yourself out there. I think Julie mentioned this point earlier. Say, uh, volunteer, volunteer to do the extra work to learn because it's only for your own edification, right? Mm-hmm. Volunteer to do that. It's okay to make the mistakes, but put yourself out there. Have a voice. We live in a world where the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Get out there and, and talk to folks. Um, 
one thing I, I recommend to anyone going into the life sciences as well, understand and learn some kind of data management methods. There's simple ways to do that online via Coursera and other um, uh, e-education software, something to learn how to organize, manipulate data, or maybe some programming. Very valuable. I think the scientist of the future is not just the one that can just do a lab assay. Scientists of the future is someone, someone who can wrangle data, find the details in the data in your own analysis. Super, super critical, right? What about, um, I'm curious to start that from, from the company standpoint, like obviously we're at ACC, so community college and the people that we are interacting with and the students that are going through here have two-year degrees. And I know that I've been to meetings with other people who have said, you know, the hard part is to get these employers to realize that a four-year degree isn't necessary for every single job. And, you know, there's there's definitely some bias in education toward like these graduate degrees and all these degrees. And mm -hmm. is it, you know, is it necessary? And and how does, how do you feel about that from the perspective of, of an employer of like, you, you know what I, I've you know you've seen that I've seen that there's there's certainly value that comes out of you know out of programs like ACC. I think what happens because there is that that certain stigma. I think there's an added layer of work for somebody who said to say something along the lines of, "Let me do a, a free internship to see how I can perform, see how I do, see how things happen." You know, and that's actually what I did. I volunteered, I did an internship, a non-paid internship in a biotech company in 2009. And mm -hmm. I said, while I was working full time at a consulting firm, and I said, Lev, give me just one hour of your day and I can come over and I can help you with anything you want. So I took my lunch break from my current company, from my consulting company, drove five miles down the other side of town, took an hour and a half break, hour and a half lunch, and I worked for the other company for the biotech companies as a way to say, hey, I can do this work. Just let me show you. You have to prove yourself, you mm -hmm. know, whatever it takes. If you really are passionate about getting into the space, you have to do these kinds of things. You had to do it back then in 2009, probably still have to do it now. For the students that are introverts, like myself, <laughs> the, going to a big um, social networking event is a little scary. So um, I, I think one way to start is um, interact with your different teachers, even if teachers that are not your own teachers, and start asking them, um, can you explain how to do this? Or um, I knew, um, Nancy, you told me about Dr. Kisao, and I, and I knew that he was an adjunct professor who was not one of my teachers, but I knew that he was um, hosting, um, he was going to be at the lab to do a study group, study group kind of thing. So when I wanted to learn about PCR, I just brought him all my questions, and um, and he was eager to help. So I, I think really interacting with your teachers and the people that maintain the labs. Um, I got my job at ABAI through, through one of the teachers and you. And I, I think that um, they know people in the industry. A lot of ACC teachers are working in the industry. So they know where the jobs are and who, who you can be connected with and where you might fit. And, you know, and to Josue's point about the coffee dates, like I had a woman reach out to me on LinkedIn the other day, and she's a postdoc ever at UT, and she's realizing that maybe it's time to try to make a transition in the industry. And so she said, I just want to meet you and hear how you made a transition out of UT. 
And I, you know, linked into her and said, you know, hello or whatever. And then I kind of accidentally blew off that part of it. And she chimed in about a week later. She said, you know, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to bring this up again because I really would like to just schedule 30 minutes or so. And we had a great conversation. And when she started telling me about the work she's doing, it reminded me of this company that has recently pulled out my application, who is going to open up here. And so I sent him a note. I said, hey, are you planning on hiring somebody when you get here? And he said, yeah, I think so. Why? And I introduced the two of them and I don't know what's going to happen, but it, you know, like here's this woman who literally cold called me (laughs) and kind of had to nudge me to get me to do it, but it may have landed her a job. (laughs) Right. Well, you just never know. 100%. That's an awesome story, Nancy, for sure. And, and, And it's shocking how often it happens, you know, it's just like, Everybody needs something. They don't even know what they need. But the more people you know, the more conversations you have. Well, Jolene Josue, it's been a wonderful episode. We learned a lot about what you guys are doing, but also processes of getting into the space. And so it's been very valuable. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Dan. Absolutely, Dan. Happy to be a part of this this um, this program, this podcast. And with uh, thank you to you too, Nancy. Sure. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Jolie and Josue, for joining us on Science in the Mall, y'all. It was inspiring to learn about Angstrom Bio's journey and the way our community here in Austin came together to collaborate, cooperate, and fight COVID. And it's always so helpful to hear advice about how to break into an industry. From networking to internships, there are so many great resources in this great city for folks looking to work in the biosciences. And if you know someone who might benefit from the wisdom shared in this episode, Share the wealth and send it to them. Thanks again for tuning in and join us on the next episode to hear more about the intersection of entrepreneurism and science as we learn about another startup that planted roots at ABI and has gone on to find great success. This has been a Foundy Media Podcast produced in partnership with Austin Community College's Bioscience Incubator, which is the region's only wet lab space for Austin's growing bioscience industry. 